This morning, if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to John chapter 3. I'll be at least uh, starting there, or all the verses are listed this morning on the back of the bulletin, and I'll be referring to those uh, throughout the message. But I want to start off with really an incident that happened during World War II. Charlie Brown, not the cartoon character, but the B-17 flying flying fortress pilot from the 379th Bomber Group in Kimbleton, England. His B-17 was called Ye Old Pub because it was so large. It was in a terrible state having been hit by flak and fighters, it was shot up pretty bad. One engine was dead. His tail was completely gone, uh, at least shot to pieces. His horizontal stabilizer and nose shot up. It was ready to fall, fall out of the sky. And to boot, his compass was damaged, and they were flying deeper and deeper into enemy territory instead of flying back home to Kimbledon, England. And unnoticed by the pilot and the struggling crew was a German ME-109 fighter flying right next to them. It was only after the flying B-17 flew over an enemy airfield, a German pilot named Franz Stigler was ordered to take off and shoot down that B-17. He got in his plane and he took off after the, after the B-17. And when he got up next to it, he couldn't believe his eyes. He said, this is the worst plane I ever saw flying in the sky. It shouldn't be flying. The tail was, and the rear section, he said, were severely damaged. The tail gunner wounded. The top gunner uh, was all over the top of the f- fuselage. The nose was smashed, and there were holes everywhere in the aircraft. Despite having ammunition, Franz flew to the side of the B-17 and looked at Charlie Brown, the pilot. Brown was scared, struggling to control his damaged aircraft and bloodstained plane. And aware that he he had no idea where he was going, Franz waved to Charlie to turn 180 degrees. Franz escorted and guided the stricken plane to and slightly over the North Sea towards England and saluted to Charlie Brown and turned away back to Europe. When Franz landed, he told his CO the plane had been shot down over the sea, never told the truth to anybody. Charlie Brown and the remains of his crew, after a briefing, told everything and then were told by their commanding officer not to ever speak of this story. Forty years later, Charlie Brown went to find the Luftwaffe pilot who saved his crew. After years of research, Franz was found. He had never talked of the incident, not even after post-war reunions. 
They met in the United States at the 379th Bomber Group Reunion together with 25 people who are now alive because France never fired his guns that day. When asked why he didn't shoot them down, Stigler later says, I didn't have the heart to finish those brave men. I flew beside them for a long time trying to decide what to do. They were trying desperately to get home, and I was going to make sure they did that. I could not have shot them down. It would have been the same as shooting a man in a parachute. That's a true story. That story recently just came out, and just in 2008, both pilots died. This story of these men in the B-17 needed the right person to see their helpless and pitiful state and have mercy on them. That's what they needed that day, and that's what they got. Well, there is a more serious plight than even these men. These men were in that day. That is the helpless and pitiful state each sinner is in before God, and most don't even know it. They're way off course, and they think they're doing all right. Their compass is shot, and they think they're heading in the right direction. Now, what do I mean? Well, if you look at our text this morning in John chapter 3, verse number 18, that's the bold face on the bulletin, it says this, It says, he who believes in him is not judged or condemned, and he who does not believe has been condemned already. This word here is a word that specifically means condemning or decreeing or inflicting penalty on one. Actually, it is used, the verb is used in a passive voice that means that the subject receives the action of the verb. The subject here is anyone who does not believe in the name of the only begotten Son. And it's coupled with a perfect verb, meaning this. It indicates a person who has entered into a continuing state of condemnation by God because they refuse to enter into a continuing state of belief in Jesus Christ. Now, How does God judge people? And how will God ultimately judge people? Well, people are judged by the person and the work of Jesus Christ. That's why the title of my message is Only Jesus. Because Jesus means everything to everyone in all the world. And today, I want you to think about the response in the first part of the passage in verse number 18, where it says, he who believes in him is not judged or is not condemned. I want you to be there. It is my desire that you understand that Jesus Christ is the only one who can change your status before God, the Father, from one of condemnation to one of not being condemned at all. See, you need the right person to have mercy on your helpless state of condemnation. That's what we all need. That's what I need. That's what you need. How can a 
How can your position before God change? That's the question I want to answer today. Well, there's three things that I want you to consider from not only this passage, but the passages on the back of the bulletin. And the first thing is this. If your position is going to change, then it has to start with faith. It has to start with the object of faith. In other words, biblical faith is never a blind leap in the dark. It's never that. Biblical faith has substance to it. It has content to it. What is to be the object of my hope? my belief, and my confidence, and hopefully yours? The answer is simple. The object of faith to a sinner who is helplessly lost, dead in sin, and really heading for an eternal fire is Jesus Christ. Because it says in the passage, he who believes in him, that is the key. The object of faith to a sinner is, is Jesus Christ. Now, in this same context of Scripture, the writer, John, tells people to look to God's means of salvation. In fact, faith is a look, but it has to be a look at the right object, the right person. It's a look at the prescribed means of salvation. In our passage of Scripture, right before these verses, it's mentioned there that in verse number, actually 14 and 15, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. In other words, just as Moses lifted up the bronze serpent and any person who was bitten by the snakes, by the serpents, if they looked, they would be delivered from condemnation and live. It's found in Numbers chapter 21. That's the verse that he quotes to Nicodemus, who was a religious leader of Israel, who supposed to, should have known the truth and the way to God, but he didn't. He didn't know he wasn't born again. He thought he was in the kingdom. And Jesus says to him, you're not in the kingdom. You're not right with God. In fact, you're still under God's condemnation. That must have been a great shock to him. And it's a great shock to many people who hear that. So see, if you have an eye of faith, well then look to Jesus Christ as God. Bow before him and accept him as being very God of very God. Look to Christ as a man. Believe and admire the mystery of God becoming a man in the person of Jesus Christ. Let your faith behold the perfect righteousness of Christ. You and I could have never kept the law perfectly, but Jesus Christ, he keeps the law perfectly for his children. Fix your faith upon Christ as dying and as dead. View the Lamb of God as dumb before his shearers. View the man of sorrows as acquainted with grief. Go to Gethsemane in the garden and behold him sweating drops of blood. See him nailed to the tree while he pours out his life for sinners. That's the object of your faith 
for justification. Let your faith see Christ rising from the dead. He bore the curse, and now he receives the justification. He dies to pay the sinner's debt, and he rises that he may nail the handwriting of that discharged debt to the cross and impute his righteousness to your account. See him ascended up on high, pleading before the Father, offering petition for all that come to God by him. See, yes, see him as divine revelation reveals him, as God, as man, as living, as dying, as rising, as reigning above. My friend, he alone is to be the object of your faith and the pardon for your sin. Look only to Jesus. But most of all, in light of our passage, he who believes in him is not judged or not condemned. The only way that you're not going to be condemned is when you view Jesus Christ as a substitute. God is just. Someone will bear the condemnation and penalty for sin. It either will be you or someone else. But someone will because God's justice must be met. God is just and must, must punish sin. But God is also, also merciful. He will, actually he wills, to pardon those who believe in Jesus. That's what his will is. How does he accomplish it? Well, he does it like this. He takes the sins of his people and actually lifted them up from his people and put them on Christ so that his people stand as innocent as though they had never sinned and that Christ is looked upon by God as though he had been all the sinners in the whole world for all time rolled up into one person. Yes, the sin of his people was taken from their persons and really and actually laid on Christ. God then punished Christ in the sinner's place. Christ was not a sinner himself, but the sins of his people were all imputed to him that day on the cross. So then, justice met Christ as though he had been the sinner. And God punished Christ for his people's sins. He punished him completely, exactly from the last bit of penalty and left not one drop in the cup. Now by God's mercy... Those who believe in Jesus can be pardoned and released from God's justice. He was just, but suffered for the unjust. As our text in 1 Peter says in verse 318 in your bulletin, it says this, For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he may bring us to God. You see, Jesus is the great object of faith. He is the one you ought to look to. He is the one who can save you from condemnation. And to be mistaken at this particular point is fatal. Your faith 
has nothing to do with anything within you. It has nothing to do with anything you can offer God. You are to look to Christ and Christ Jesus alone. It must be the object of our faith must be Christ and Christ alone because he's the one who bore the penalty. A second thing that can change your position before God is this. It includes the gift of God. Our carnal minds are so disagreeable to salvation that is by Christ alone that we can't get away from it. In fact, our love for human merit is so overpowering that if the Holy Spirit of God did not convince us of our lostness and our ruin and our need for a Savior, we would not come to get saved. That's why people don't. They think they're doing all right. They don't think they need salvation. They don't think that they're under the condemnation of God. So how does anybody know that they are lost and condemned before God? Well, it is a gift of God. That's what it is. In our passage in the bulletin, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, it says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that that this is not your own doing or not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast before God. No one could say that I could save myself. No one could say that God should save me. No one really could say that before God. The Spirit of God shows them that they are they have broken God's law and must bear its punishment. And if they do not come to Christ, they must perish. In fact, that passage of Scripture that we're looking at right now in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not, what, perish. It doesn't mean perish like garbage and decay and it's gone forever. It means that the perishing goes out of the presence of God into an eternal state of punishment forever and ever and ever. See, the Holy Spirit must drive us to a sense of our need for Christ. To come and believe in him as our own savior and to let go of all our self-righteousness. See, the Spirit of God, what he does is he makes you alive. The passage of Scripture in Ephesians, in your bulletin, it says, even when we were dead in our transgression, made us alive together with Christ. He makes us alive, and then what does he do In Romans chapter 10 and verse 17, the Spirit of God opens our ears to hear. To hear what? Listen to what it says in Romans 10, 17. So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. When the word of Christ comes to you and God opens your ears to hear that and then you begin to say to yourself, wait a minute, I may be the one condemned and under sin. I'm the one who has to be rescued from this plight because I'm way off course and I thought I was going right. I'm the one who God is talking about in these passages of Scripture. Not Joe Schmo down the block, not the great sinner in the world, me. I'm the one. And so God begins to impress upon a person's heart 
that they need to hear the word of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who can deliver from sin. And then the, the passage in uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verse 27, and also in the bulletin, my sheep hear my voice. And what do they do? I know them. And they follow me. So this is what happens. God makes them alive. They look to Christ for salvation. They hear what they must do to be saved. And they follow Jesus the rest of their life. You don't hear much about following uh, too much today. Today, sometimes it's just professing Christ or confessing Christ. Not so much about following Christ, but real salvation is following Jesus your whole life. The Bible's a big book. There's a lot to know. God has told us a lot, and he wants us to know all of it. So you see, no person ever did or ever will feel their need for Christ. In fact, again in our passage in John 3, in verse number 19, notice what it says. This is the judgment that light has come into the world. And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Men love their sin. Don't get, don't be wrong about that. People love to sin. They love to fill their passions and their desires. They love to do that. And they do it so much and so well, they don't even know they're in darkness. They don't even know they're under... God's condemnation. See, so unless the Spirit makes them feel the need of Jesus savingly, they they will not get saved. The Spirit of God points them to the only one who can rescue them from their condemnation until they cry this, I'm a sinner, save me. You know what God does when somebody cries out, I'm a sinner, save me? Tell you what he does. He saves them. That's not a big prayer or a long prayer, but it's a true prayer. When somebody sees the truth about themselves before a holy and a just God, then they realize this, either I'm going to pay for my sin or this Jesus is going to pay for my sin. He's my substitute. He's the one that I want to look to. In fact, right there in our, another passage of Scripture in 1 Timothy 1.15, it says there, here's a trustworthy statement. Deserving of full acceptance. That means everybody who hears this ought to accept this as absolutely true. And here it is. That Jesus Christ came into the world. This is what he came into the world to do. To save sinners. And the Apostle Paul adds to that. And I'm the foremost of all. The Apostle Paul wanted to let everybody know, listen, if you want to see a sinner, look at me. Yes, the Apostle Paul was the greatest. He says, I'm the greatest of all sinners because I persecuted the church and I killed people because of my hatred and my anger towards God. He says, I am a great sinner and Christ saved me. See, the ground on which a person comes to Christ is that they are nothing but sinners. And that they have a need to be washed in the blood of Christ and be made clean. Very simply, if you come to Christ this morning as nothing but a sinner, he will not cast you out because he says so. And the thing about it is, you don't need to prepare for it. 
Come with all your sin and wickedness. You don't need to qualify for it. Come empty. Don't look within yourself. There's nothing there. Don't look to your works. You have nothing to offer God. And don't look to your feelings or trust your heart. Because you know what? If it's not, all those things are not informed by truth, you're way off course already. And you're trusting in something that's false and that will actually damn your soul for eternity. See, believe because Christ tells you to do so. And what you are commanded to do, you may do. Sinners need someone to have mercy upon them in their helpless and pitiful state. Jesus is that person. He's the person flying next to you that has the authority to send you to hell or send you to heaven. And he's taking care of everything for that to happen. See, the gate of mercy is wide open. Why will you not come? Give up all your excuses and come. Maybe you'll say this. I'm an old sinner, pastor. I'm set in my ways. I can't change now. You ever hear people say that? I'm too old. I can't change now. Where in Scripture is there written that a 60, 70, 80, 90-year-old sinner can't be saved. My father at 72 came and trusted Christ as his Lord and Savior when he realized that his good works accounted nothing before God except God to damn him because he can't offer anything to God. His good works were nothing but filthy rags. It was at that point he thought he was good. God says, you're not good. You're a sinner. You need Christ that he believed in Christ. And God saved him and transformed his whole life. Now he's with the Lord in heaven. And lived the life of following Christ ever since he believed. Or maybe you say, listen, I've been an adulterer. And my mind has been occupied with filthy lust for many years. How could God have me as as his child? Or maybe... You'll say, well, I've been a liar and a chief and a thief, or I've been self-centered and prideful, and I've been an egomaniac. I trample over people to get my way. I don't like myself. Why would God want me? I've been angry and manipulative. I want people to do what I want them to do, and I try to control everything and everyone. Or maybe you say, you know what, I've been a drunkard or a druggard. I live for the party. In fact, ever since I've been on earth, I've been trying to escape. You know anybody like that? Or I've been a mocker or a blasphemer or an idolater. Or maybe somebody will say, today I'll be, I was, I've been a homosexual. How could God have me? I'm so dirty, polluted, and guilt-ridden. God couldn't have me. Or maybe you say, I've been a pretty good person. I try to live upright, as upright as possible. I try to go to church when I can. I take care of my family. I pay my bills. I try not to hurt anybody. And if anybody needs help, I try to help them. Maybe you're thinking like that. But you know what? The Bible is saying here, all are under condemnation. See, if you say you're a good person, 
Remember, Christ did not come to save the self-righteous, but the sinner. And if you say that you're too great a sinner, remember, where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. So you're, in the caught, you're caught in the catch-22. In fact, what the Scripture does is, is it corners you. See, again, God judges people based on what you do with Christ. From the first man to the last person who lives on this earth and dies, the judgment before God is going to be based on what you do with Christ. Just recently in Algeria, talking to the imams about the gospel of Jesus Christ, I realized they have a system of works. That's it. That's all it is. Everything is works. That they, there's this big scale in heaven, and hopefully 51% is going to go uh, in favor of being good, and then you'll get in. Hopefully you'll get in. It's, it's never uh, definite. But that's how they think. But don't we think like that too? I thought like that. I thought like that. I thought that, hey, listen, there's got to be some divine scales on there. You know, there, there's good in people. Yeah, there is good in people based on how people see people. But when you put yourself up before a holy and a just God, there's no one good. No, not one. Everybody is guilty before God. Jew, Gentile, and whatever else you want to call yourself. So there's really no reason why anyone should be saved from God's condemnation of sin. There's no good reason. When God saves you, it is not because of anything in you that he should have mercy on you. It's because of something in himself. See, the reason why God saves anyone lies with God and God alone, and he doesn't tell us. He just tells us that he saves people. I think that's good enough, don't you? So, see, the object of your faith should be Jesus Christ and him alone. And the mercy of God is offered to sinners as a free gift. If you try to offer God something for it, it is no longer a gift. It is no longer free. There's one last thing to understand concerning the change of position before God. And it's simply this. Correct belief brings pardon to sinners. Look at verse number 18 again. It says, He who believes in him is not judged or not condemned. He who believes in him, no matter how long you sin, how much you sinned, your many sins are all forgiven. You stand in the sight of God as innocent as though you had never sinned when you believe in Christ. See, this is the power of Jesus Christ, that he is able to do what you could never do, even if you and I had an eternity to accomplish it. And that is to remove yourself from God's condemnation. You cannot do it. So the moment a person puts their trust in Christ... He is freed, she is freed from all condemnation of God, past, present, and future, without spot, without wrinkle, without blemish. 
Look at that one last passage on, in your bulletin in Romans 8, verse number 1. Here, this is what it simply says. Therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Isn't that pretty simple? See, if you're in Christ, you don't have anything to worry about. If you believed in Jesus Christ and you're following Christ and you're obeying Christ, there's nothing to be concerned about because Christ is your substitute. All your sins are laid to the charge of Christ. And when one comes to Christ, they now hate their sin. And they sin not because they love it, but because of reason of their weakness. They are no longer in the sight of God a sinner, but accepted in the beloved. They are actually perfect before God. And only Jesus could remove you from condemnation to that of not being condemned. So so it's all about Jesus Christ. Where is he in your life? Have you ever come to a place where you simply asked him to save you? Then followed him in believer's baptism to tell everybody what's happened to you publicly. And then gone on to live for him. Apart from anyone else, you are going to live for Christ. You have such a hunger and a desire for his word and to know more about what God has for you. You want to just keep going. That's what happens to believers. God turns you around and he sends you home. He turns you 180 degrees and sends you home. He puts you in the right direction. He puts you on the straight path. He puts you in the direction that no one can turn you around again. That's what he does to you. See, he's shown mercy to us by dying in the place of sinners and everyone who believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. He who believes in him is not condemned, is not judged. But remember, here's the rest of the passage of Scripture. He who does not believe has been judged already. That they're still under God's condemnation and they will remain there until they believe in the only begotten Son of God, Jesus Christ, who is the Savior of all people who come to him for salvation. So, if you desire salvation and want to know what to do, I advise you to go this very day to the Lord Jesus Christ and in the first private place you can find, earnestly and heartily entreat him in prayer to save your soul. Tell him that you heard from the word of God that he receives sinners. Because he said in Scripture, if you come unto me, I will in no wise cast you out. Tell him that you are a poor sinner and that you come to him on the faith of his own invitation. He invites us to come. Tell him. Tell him you put yourself wholly and entirely in his hands and that you feel helpless and hopeless in yourself, and except he saves you, you have no hope of being saved. You're only looking to Jesus to save you. That's it. And then when you do that, ask him 
to deliver you from the guilt and the power and the consequences of sin. Ask him to pardon you, to wash you in your own blood and in his own blood and make you fit for the kingdom of God. Ask him to give you a new heart and plant the Holy Spirit of God in your soul. Ask him to give grace and faith and will to be his disciple and his servant and to follow him all the rest of the days he gives you on this earth. Ask him to do that. And then tell him in your own ways. I want, I want you to say to me, Lord, I'm a sinner. You came to save sinners, and I'm a candidate. That's all you have to say. He understands your heart. He knows your position. That's the whole reason why he came. And he's the only one who could do it. So, my friend, don't wait until you feel unworthy. I say don't wait till you feel, feel anything because feelings are so deceiving. Wait for nothing. Wait for nobody. Waiting always comes from the pit of hell. Just as you are, go to Christ. The worst you are, the more need you have to apply to him. You will never mend yourself or deliver yourselves from God's condemnation on your own. You'll never do it. Remember, he who does not believe has been condemned already. So come today to the one whose office it is to save sinners, Jesus Christ. Amen? I pray that if someone is in that position today, that they would come and believe. And that if you do, Tell somebody, tell me, tell somebody what you've done because that is the only way to be rescued. And Jesus Christ is the only one who has been commissioned to rescue sinners. If you go anywhere else, if you go by any other means, if you trust in your church or your baptism or your good works, you'll never get there. It's only by Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you this morning that you have given us the word of God and you have put inside the word of God the message of eternal salvation. Oh, Lord, I pray and I ask you, Lord, that the people here today who do not know you, who have never called upon you, I, Lord, remove their doubts and their fears. Give them clarity in their heart to know that they are condemned under God and that Jesus Christ is the one who can remove them from that condemnation. And I pray they would call unto you as a sinner to save them. And Lord, thank you that your word says that you will. Because anyone who comes to you, you will never cast out or turn away. And so I pray that you would do that, Lord, and bring more people into your kingdom and rescue them from darkness and for, from disillusionment and from disbelief. And Lord, give them a heart to love and serve you. I thank you and I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.